My guest tonight has been in the hobby for 20 years, has done work in the wrestling business, has hosted wrestling radio shows and podcasts, and overall just enjoys everything wrestling and EFED related. He started in the EWC as a handler back in 2019 and is now a commissioner of the EWC and showrunner of Paramount Wrestling. He's also the host of the EWC Total Access. Please join me as I go one-on-one with Chris. Chris, welcome to the show, my friend. How are you today? Oh, thank you for having me. I am doing excellent. How are you? I'm doing really well, really well. So basically this show is uh, a little one-on-one where we kind of learn your your history and, and how you found the e-fetting world and we kind of give people a, a broader picture of, of who you are. So let's kick things off with, you know, you, you've been in the hobby for 20 years. I'm assuming you were a wrestling fan before that. So how did you find the world of e-fetting? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've been a wrestling fan probably as long as I can remember. Um, you know, I, some of my earliest memories are of my grandmother. She was a, you know, five foot nothing red-haired Italian or Irish woman and every Saturday morning man she would get about six inches from the TV screen and if you dared interrupt her during Saturday wrestling man you were on the floor in a headlock like <laughs> legit um, but yeah no uh, I it was I was in middle school I don't I, I always go back and try to figure out exactly what year it was and I can never really nail it down so to say uh, but I was in middle school and um, there was a friend of mine who uh, was a big wrestling fan, and so obviously we would uh, we would talk wrestling and whatnot. And he was like, "Hey, man," he's like, "You know, there's this thing going online now where where you can uh, you know you can like pretend to be a wrestler, and and, and it's you know it's this, this fun game. Like you should come check it out." And so I, I kind of like paid him no mind at first, but um, I went in and you know started looking around and the AOL days, as it were, you would go into chat rooms and whatnot. And, and, you know, in wrestling chat rooms, they're always recruiting for, for e-feds. I mean, it was, you'd have one line about, you know, someone talking about this wrestler, or that wrestler. And then it was like 27 replies of join this e-fed, join this e-fed, join this e-fed. <laughs> uh, and so, you know, I, I joined one and, um, you know, the first couple that I did were all real wrestlers, you know, real wrestling ones. Uh, and so I think, uh, I think my go-to was uh, diamond Dallas page, uh, for that, for that little bit of time. Uh, I was a big DDP fan growing up, still am. Um, and so it, uh, you know, I did that for a while. And then, you know, my, my, my friend kept saying, you know, no, you should check out the one that I'm in, like, da, da, da. And so I finally checked it out and it was, you know, uh, original, original wrestlers only, no real wrestlers. And so that's when I really got opened up to the world of like e-fetting as it is today. Um, and uh, stumbled for a little bit with a few characters, tried a few things out and then, Right around 97 or so, I found um, the Fed that I probably accomplished almost the most in, uh, which was uh, UCF, Ultimate Championship Fighting, uh, which, strangely enough, we now have two members of EWC that uh, were in UCF. Uh, one of them was the actual runner, the, the show runner, the Fed head of, of UCF. Uh, and so I was there for a long time. And, and that's where I really learned the craft, really learned the trade, and really learned like what the writing was about and how to make it work and how to make it work for you. So it's really kind of my intro. That's really wild because I mean, the two of us have almost identical introductions to the world of e-fetting. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking back to, you know, 1995, I'm, I'm 14 and a half and, mm-hmm. you know, I've got these friends at school who, I mean, we talk wrestling all the time. I, I was addicted to the, to wrestling in the eighties and nineties and growing up on it. 
and they introduced me to this e-fed thing too. So it's just kind of crazy that we sort of had the same sort of introduction and mm-hmm. s- sort of the same age too, being really young and, and joining the game at a, at a really early age. So you, you found, you found your craft there and, and you, you found your home. So when you, when you kind of bounced around in the different e-feds, um, what made you settle in in the one that you spent most of your time with? What, what was it that was different for you? Uh, so I think the thing with UCF particularly was it was just run so much better. Like it was, you know, it wasn't a sloppily put together this or, or, or just, you know, uh, and again, we still have this issue in some feds today where, you know, they say results are going to be on Wednesday. And if you're lucky, they're out by Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that was rampant back then it's rampant now. And so when I got to UCF, it was, you know, it was, Hey, like, you know, what are your plans for your character? Like, the, the owner, the Fed head, I remember the Fed head himself reaching out to me and going, hey, like, what are your plans for the character? What do you want to do? What's this? What's that? What's the other? Um, and that's when I kind of came up with the idea for uh, who Chris Brock is, the, you know, my my mainstay character that I've spent the most time playing, who is the general manager of Paramount uh, in character. That's when I started creating that character and thinking, hey, like, what can I do here that's different? Um, that's, and so uh, that level of interaction was really what what sold me. That's awesome, and and I'm gonna jump in there because this might be something that a lot of people in the EWC might not realize. So we know Chris Brock very very well. I mean, he he came in as, as the general manager of you know FSW and took you know that into Paramount. But there's a whole history about Chris Brock here. So give mm-hmm. us a little bit more detail on Chris Brock. I mean how successful was he or wasn't he you know what was his experiences how did how did you transition chris brock to go from the wrestler because when you joined the ewc it wasn't as chris brock so how did you transform chris brock the wrestler into the chris brock that we know today yeah so when i first started creating the character uh you know i I got asked like hey what do you want to do how do you want to do it and so i was watching a lot of ecw at the time uh, and this was in the 90s in their heyday. And so I was catching it at like 3 a.m. on the Florida Sunshine Network, which was our like regional sports network mm-hmm. in Florida, which is where I was born and raised. And uh, I saw the character of Mikey Whipwreck. Right. Mm-hmm. And just it wasn't so much the character as it was the backstory they gave. You know, Mikey Whipwreck started on the ring crew and like got his shot because the promoter saw something in him. And like that was the story that I was like, man. I could do something with that. Uh, and so I just, I spoke to the, to the fed head of UCF and I said, Hey, I want to do this. And he's like, I can work with that. And so actually my first promo in UCF, I was actually a joint promo that I did with the fed head in, in the sense that like I had him in my role play and like, we worked out the dialogue and the whole nine yards. Um, and so he kind of started from there, just a guy who was on the ring crew and got a shot, you know, uh, was, was taking bumps in the ring, after setting it up and stuff and so uh you know i got my shot and uh i started you know playing around with like all right what's he gonna be and who's he gonna be and, and this and that and uh stumbled a little bit at first but then i started to kind of catch some traction and um you know i started getting looks in their what i believe they called it their extreme division uh, it's like their hardcore division basically what we call the x division in ewc and mm-hmm. uh i uh, i won the extreme title um, which was really cool. It's my first title in EFED history. Uh, and so I did that for a while. And, but I took a different approach with it. Like I didn't want to be 
the guy who was like, yeah, I'll just, you know, I'll destroy my body just to, to make people happy. Like I took the approach of, it's not about like wanting to hurt yourself to get people to like you. It's about who has more heart because I took it on. I've Chris Brock has pretty much always been a face. I think I did one heel turn in the entire run I did as Chris Brock and it was very shortly lived, but I've always been a face because the face alignment, it's just, it, to me, it's harder to write a face than a heel. Mm-hmm. So I took that I took that on as like a challenge. Like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this my way. And so I took the approach of I have more heart than you ever will. There's no way you will ever beat me because I have more heart than you. Mm-hmm. And it worked for me. It worked well for me. So I did that. I had the extreme title. Um, I won the ultimate title, uh, which was kind of like their their second, you know, their their second tier title. It was like they had the world title and then it was the ultimate title. Um, I won that title twice. Uh, I actually totally forgot that I had won that title twice <laughs> until recently. Um, thanks to the Wayback Machine, I was able to go back and see uh, title histories from that from UCF and and see that. Um, and then from there, when UCF closed, uh, I got together with a with a, a real life friend of mine, Miles, and somebody from UCF. Uh, his his the, the name he went by was Brian Titan. And uh, we actually tried to start our own Fed for a little bit to replace U- UCF. It didn't really pan out very long, but we gave it a shot. Kind of my first taste of like staffing and stuff like that. Um, and then I bounced around to a, to a bunch of other federations. There was one federation, I believe it was called GWA, but there were like 2,500 different GWAs. So I couldn't really tell you if, if this one did a whole lot or not. Um, and I went into that fed with my real life friend Miles. Uh, we had, you know, we had been good friends for a while, and uh, so we went in and, and you know, I started kind of doing my thing, and I was kind of going up the ranks. And about what, five, six months in, um, I got a world title shot. It was the first time I'd ever gotten a world title shot in EFED history, in my EFED history. Um, you know, won the world title, <laughs> um, which it was kind of. I think it was. I think it was one of those things where it was like. It was almost bound to happen, mostly because what came out was the the guy who was the world champion was actually recycling promos from the five different feds he was in, uh. um, and he or she, I don't know, if, you know, but they were in, um, and so like it, it just they were just changing the name to fit the, the their opponent, mm-hmm. um, so it was you know it's one of those things where the the kind of the credibility of the promo kind of goes because you can't say the same thing about five different people and expect it to all be accurate and whatnot. Um, so I won the world title there and, and, um, held it for, uh, over a year. Uh, I was undefeated, uh, period for over a year in that, in that company. Um, and that company ultimately closed down because I found out like six or seven months into my world title reign that the owners of the, the, the company changed. Um, and I didn't hear about it or know about it, um, but it actually ended up being a group of friends of mine in real life who took the federation over. Oh. And um, they, you know, to this day, they swear up and down to me like they did not give me any preferential treatment. In fact, they were doing everything they could to get that title off of me, <laughs> so that they could tell me, "Hey, we took over this fed. Do you want to help us?" Um, <laughs> and so it was like a, it was like another like six months, yeah, before I lost the belt. And uh, and then I, I helped staff help them staff for a little bit, but again, you know the numbers game always kind of catches up to you. If you don't have a really healthy roster, it's hard to keep a, a Fed going. Um, so I did that. So we did that. Um, went to another company called uh, Legacy Pro Wrestling (LPW), um, which is where I actually met um, 
a guy who is in the Hall of Fame in EWC uh, by the name and his character name was Nathan Doe. Mm -hmm. um, but I met him and he and I uh, kind of clicked immediately. Um, just our ideas, our ability to bounce stuff off each other and, and really work together like that. Um, won the world title there before the owner, you know, was 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 starting to look for staff and stuff like that. And he and I got to talking and I was like, you know, um, you know, I, I'll come on. I'll be your general manager. I'll do the day to day stuff and stuff like that. And unfortunately, he just wasn't a very good fed head. It's, it's not any detriment to him. He just had a lot of things going on, I guess, in his real life and whatnot. So uh, about three months in, I ended up taking over uh, LPW. Um, and like a month later, I was like, you know, this isn't working because it's not my fed it's not my story it's not my anything um and at that point i'd been in the game for god 15 years or so i mean it was you know I, and i know the timeline seems a little wishy-washy there but like there were a bunch of other feds that i'll be honest i don't remember so i'm not really going to talk about them mm -hmm. um but uh you know i'd been in the game for like you know i don't know 14 15 years or so uh and so i was like you know i've never actually ran my own fed like by myself do it on my own type deal so um i started talking with uh doe and and he was like yeah man like we'll do it like let's let's try it and so i started my own fed uh and basically took everybody from lpw over and so we renamed it uh dynasty championship wrestling uh i named it that after the the one stable that chris brock has ever been in uh it was you know myself my my real life friend miles and a couple other real life friends of mine who had gotten into the game uh we we were in a stable called dynasty um that uh we did for a while so i named it dynasty championship wrestling and um we had a good like six month run it was it was it was not bad but it, it, we only had about eight or nine really active role players and we seemed to not be able to to catch on with enough people to really make it work um uh but that was where like i started going all right well what do i want to do to this game what do i want to make this game and so that's where you like i started like i created a scorecard that we used and um you know i i had a kind of a like debut show uh kind of like we do gambit like i had a show called proving grounds that was really just about like that's where new people come in they show us what they can do and then we can say all right like this is what we can do with you based on your current skill level and how we can make you better and like i was really all about like how do i bring more people into the game and help them as much as i can because um you know everybody gets different things out of e-fetting to me it was you meet a lot of really cool people and like it's all about getting better as a writer getting better as somebody who understands the wrestling industry and things like that so um did that for a while and then um when when i realized like hey we just don't have the numbers to keep going um i talked to the owner of apw and said hey like i've got nine or ten guys they you know women men whatever they want to come over can we bring them all over like i'm not looking to do an invasion type thing but like they just want to come in and be part of of this fed because you know apw at the time was a really healthy fed um are we talking action-packed wrestling yes okay good so that was yes. that was obviously people know them as they were our sister fed for a long time okay continue yes Yes, and the funny part there is uh, I had no idea. <laughs> I never <laughs> like, like you said. Like we have such a similar start to the to our journeys. Like I'm amazed that it took until 2019 for me to really ever hear of uh, of EWC. Especially since our logo has been on the APW website since they right. started. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, 
<laughs> Paying and attention think, to detail, not Chris's strong suit. No, I'm just kidding. Well, <laughs> yeah, but but again, it was it was Doe who was like, "Hey, I know of this other Fed that we can all go to." So he's the one who recommended APW to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, he and I went into APW as a tag team, uh, and you know we were we were like shooting ideas back and forth. So he had this character named War and Peace. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, like the book War and Peace, but it was War and Peace, yep. uh, and it was. Um, he actually got it from the movie Sky High, which was funny because uh, there's a character in that movie called War and Peace. Um, and so he took, you know, so and, and throughout the, the the time that he and I knew each other and he played that character, we had established that Warren was the child of one of Brock's best friends in the business. And so it made sense when we went into APW, if we were going to do the tag team thing, like Chris Brock at this point would have been, you know, in his 30s. I should probably think of maybe a different character at this point. So I started rustling it around and I came up with uh, the idea that, okay, well, Brock has a, has a son at this point. Mm-hmm. Let's say he has a son. And so I came up with the character name of Jay Gatsby, which again, another literary pun. Um, and so we, we, we came in as a tag team called the fortunate sons. Uh, mm-hmm. And we were both, you know, second generation superstars and this, that, and the other. And uh, we did that for like two months, I think. And then I just, I had, I was in a bad spot in my real life at that point. And uh, I was forced to step away. And this was like 2010 ish. Um, and so I was like, all right, like I gotta, I gotta go. I'm done. And so I walked away for, uh, you know, nine years. And then wow. in, uh, tw- in 2019, um, Doe came back to me and said, Hey man, like I've got that itch again. Do you, do you want to do something? And I was like, you know, I'm in a much better spot now. I'm not, you know, I'm not any of that stuff. I was like, yeah, let's do it. And so we came up with the idea. Um, and he said, yeah, I know the fed. He's like, this is a fed that I've been in. Uh, but I've never won the world title here. I'd really like to give that a shot and see if it's possible for me to do it. And so that's when he introduced me to EWC. And so that's kind of the really Cliff Notes version. <laughs> wow, yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty unbelievable, like like you said, you know, that our paths never met sooner. And I mean, we very well could have ran into each other without really knowing it. Um, you mm-hmm. know, I, I tested the waters of of feds constantly while i ran ewc um i was a different character in different feds just you know testing them out and you know seeing who i could recommend when people you know didn't want to be with us anymore I've, mm-hmm. you know I, i've always been of of the mind that you know the ewc is not the only place in the world and you know if people aren't happy with us i'd like to have a list of people that i can recommend them to um nine times out of ten it's usually one of our affiliates so one of the nice things that we've kind of learnt um, through your revelation here, and, and I hope the people that are listening caught on to this, it's really good to have a fed head who cares about the characters, who cares mm-hmm. about telling a story, and who works with their members. And you don't just have to be the fed head to do that. Any staff position that you have, if you're a general manager or a showrunner, whatever they call it in the fed that you're in, or if you're thinking of starting a fed of your own, be involved. You know, talk with your with your roster members. Obviously, we have Chris here that it paved the way for a really great experience for him, for his character, for Chris Brock, and for who he is as as staff now with us. So, you've been in the EWC since 2019. With your experience in efetting thus far, how how does the EWC stand in comparison to you know what you've gone through? I mean, is it is it 
top tier? Is it middle? I mean, you know, you can be brutally honest here. So, yeah, no, uh, I mean, when I first came into EWC, um, you know, I, again, it had been nine years since I've, I'd written, since I'd role-played. Um, you know, I, I would like to say I know about an inch more than maybe your average um, uh, e-fetter in the sense that I have done a little bit of work in, in the wrestling business. Um, so I understand the psychology just a little bit. I'm not going to say I'm an expert. I'm not going to say anything like that. But like, I understand at least just a little bit of it. And so I came in and I was like, you know, yeah, like, let's see what's going on. And then I started looking at, um, you know, the the talent level. And, you know, you start looking at it. And I came in in 2019. So at this point, you know, you had four brands already established, had been going for years at this point. Uh, and I start looking at it and I'm, I'm, I'm reading role plays. And I'm like, damn, like these people are good like not just good but like really really good um and so when i came in um you know i came in with doe and with um mondo and and so there were three of us and and we called ourselves criterion um after the criterion collection like we, it was like it was like a play on that but also like you know you had the avengers initiative and it was mm -hmm. like about bringing the best together and we said well what if someone tried to collect the best wrestlers that maybe nobody knows about right mm -hmm. and that was the idea um and so and i'd also never really worked heel before like true heel so we said all right well, we'll come in as heels um and so we had you know mondo was like the american seven foot tall big hoss guy uh yeshua was the pariju uh you know sensation but he also took in the twist of like he's also a skilled luchador so like you've got the best of japan the best of mexico you put it together in one guy um and then i said okay well we need we need something else we need something to represent you know those other styles and i said okay strong style from japan and i said and you have to have you know the the joke almost is like every federation has to have a samoan right like that's just that's got to be a thing mm -hmm. um so i said what if i did a twist like that like a samoan who's versed in that european style uh catch wrestling but also strong style from japan and so that's where the character of Anthony Malietoa came from. I kind of put it all together and, and, and went from there. And then I started looking into, you know, when I started looking to name the character, I was like, all right, what, what, what kind of like historic twist can I give it? And so I found the last name Malietoa, which is actually a title in Samoa. It, it means literally the great warrior. Um, and so it was also the name of a dynasty, of, like, a, like a short lived dynasty of rulers in Samoa so I kind of took that and ran with it and made it my own thing and um you know we came in and immediately kind of you know got we got smacked a little bit because again the, the writing is so great but to answer your question directly like I I will say this to anybody and I've said it kind of since I really got into EWC like hands down I have not seen writing at this level in any other EFET I've ever been in in my 20 years I, I just haven't I, I'd have to and I'm I'm not you know I could sit here and be like, oh, yeah, I'm the president. I'm being biased. But in all the years that I've run the EWC from 1997 till now, it just seems like we always have the best collection of writers all the time. You know, I, it. you can pick any year. You can pick any era. And it's like at that time, at that moment, it was always the best collection of writers. And I think... You know, a lot of it comes from word of mouth of people saying, hey, come try this out, I'm here, or whatever. But I think when you have such talented writers, people take notice of that. 
You know, mm-hmm. and, and it's like, you know, I, I could go to ABC Fed and I could win their world title, no problem. Or I could go to EWC and probably struggle my ass off to get to the top. But when I get to the top, I know that I'm on top of mm-hmm. something pretty damn great. Yeah. And so, like, you know, to give you a for instance in that, uh, I came into EWC in January 2019. It took me until April to really start putting it together of the EWC style. And what I mean by that is I think that that the writing style in EWC, as somebody comes in, the more they find success, the more they start to understand the quote unquote EWC style. And that's just a term that I've I've I, I call it. Um, but like I struggled and and Mondo struggled and, and Yeshua struggled. Like it wasn't until we turned face because at the time and, and I think that this is still somewhat true, there are a lot of really successful heels in EWC. I think that there's a lack of really successful faces. There are some great ones, don't get me wrong. But I think by and large, we have more successful heels than we have more successful faces. So we turned face. And that's when I really started putting it together and coming into my groove with that character. And that's when I started winning more matches. Um, and that led me ultimately, you know, the, the pinnacle of my success as an RPR here in EWC uh, was winning the number one contendership to the United States title. And it took me you know, again, from January to April, so the better part of almost five months. Uh, it was like the end of April when I won that match. So it was like five months for me to really put it together and figure it out. Um, it's not easy. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's it's funny because, you know, we can say it's not easy. And then in another breath, <laughs> we've had rookies that come yeah. into the EWC and just decimate. You know what I mean? Absolutely. No, so, absolutely. So, so uh, I, I and we, can... had it, we had it last year even. Yeah. Last year. Yeah. And so I, I kind of like that where, you know, a lot of times you go into an EFED and it feels like the same people are always at the top or always winning and it's really hard to get in as a new person. And it's like, you know, in the EWC, you know, you, you could come in in February and then you can come in in April and the champions up top are not going to be identical. You know, I, I like mm-hmm. that there is that ability that people can come in and win but at the same time it like you said it takes work it takes effort and for some people it it takes a little bit longer than others because you know this is no offense to any other efed but sometimes you could phone in a role play and you know win yourself a title in the ewc you can't do it, that here. exactly <laughs> you, you can't and that goes back to the point that both of you you and i have made that I firmly believe we have the best collection of riders in total. And, you know, you can look at, you know, and I'm not going to name names because people will always take that the wrong way, but you can look at, you know, who is the very, very, very best in the EWC, whether it's right now or or whatever year you want to pick, but you pick whoever's the best and you pick whoever, you know, you could say is maybe not that strong but we work with them in such a way that they could catch up rather quickly. You know, they they could have a very quick turnaround. And this is where I want to put some shine on on you, Chris. Um, And, you know, because you're the one I'm interviewing, I'm not interviewing anybody else right now. So (laughs) Darren, don't take offense to this. (laughs) But, you know, I look at you, Chris, and you're very hands-on. You know, you're, you're very involved with your roster on Paramount. And you can see natural progression of people on your roster who maybe when they started were a little bit shaky. 
and have now really come into their own. And you can see them getting stronger. You can see the ideas getting better. You can see more creativity. And I have to say that that's uh, in large part due to to you and your commitment and your ideas. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And and I think a lot of that comes from the way I was treated when I was on the, on the roster before I became staff. Like the manager, I was a brawl superstar. The manager of brawl, he knew I was going to come ask for my scorecard every time to the point where he started s- sending it to me automatically. <laughs> and and I to me, that's a good thing. Like, mm-hmm. um, honestly, I don't know. I, I don't know how he did that because between work and EWC, I couldn't remember who who's going to ask every time all the time because my brain just doesn't work that way. But um, yeah, no, I got those scorecards every time and I would look at them. I would analyze them. And I'll be honest, I probably you got I mean, I don't know. You all might have hated me when I was a, a handler because I would question almost everything mm-hmm. and not in a sense of like you're wrong in a sense of like, hey, I want to understand. And I know I probably came off the wrong way to certain people at certain times and and. I try not to, and I try to better myself there. But the, that feedback was so invaluable to me um, because I was able to go, all right, this is what this is what's working, and this was, is what's not working. And so I'd, I'd start to piece it together and move, you know, move forward and move on and whatnot. Um, so when I when I took over FSW, um, like that was my commitment. Is like I'm like like it was the development brand, right? That was its 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 thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, if this is the development brand, my job is to get you off my show. Mm-hmm. I'm being successful if you are moving on to other to another show to you know to brawl a rampage. So, mm-hmm. um, in fact, like my first address to the roster, I told them I said like, look, come to me, tell me what you want to do, tell me what it is your ultimate goal. And obviously, you're going to have a bunch of people that say, well, I want to win the undisputed t- title. Cool, awesome. Like we can do that, but let's talk about how you're going to get there. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so you know and and the feedback that i give to my to my roster or anybody if you know if i'm scoring a match or whatever like i will go through and i'll say okay like this is what worked this is what maybe didn't work um and you know let's 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 see how we can either meet in the middle or find a way to pivot a little bit because that's the great thing about rping and and being an efeds is you can always pivot Mm -hmm. you can always pivot to something else something different um and and not necessarily reinvent your character every two weeks, but you can all you can find new ways to adapt what you want to do to what is being asked of you. Uh, and I think our scorecard right now is is so detailed in what is done well and what you need to improve on. If you're asking for your scorecards and you're not able to improve, I might want to sit down with you and maybe make sure you're understanding what's in that scorecard and what's being said, just to make sure because. It, it, it like it's so detailed it, every little thing is well if you deducted a point why why did you deduct it what was it for how can they improve you know and uh, credit to you on that one because you took all the feedback that we as staff gave and, and the entire roster gave and you were like all right here's what i've got um because i know for damn sure when i was on the roster man i was i was questioning the scorecard often like hey like what does this mean what does that mean uh and there were some points where i was like all right i don't agree with this kind of explain it more uh, and to that GM's credit, uh, man, he he put up with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and you know it's it's a shame. Um, I've had no less than eight handlers in the last oh probably month and a half that have told me, you know, something along the lines of, well, you know, if I say something, I don't expect anything to happen, or I don't expect any changes. And it's like, no, no, hang on. 
welcome to the EWC. <laughs> right. Like, we're, you say we're, something, we're going to do... Exactly. We're going to do it. Exactly. We, we're going to listen. We're going to make adjustments. And so what Chris is talking about is is I had asked for feedback from the staff and I had asked for feedback from the entire roster on what they liked about the scorecard we currently had, what they didn't like about it, what they would like to see, what they'd like to see removed. And I literally used every single thing that came in. It, it just happened to work like that, where there was nothing contradicting. And we have what, in my opinion right now, is probably the best scorecard we've ever had in, in the history of EWC. And like Chris is saying, there is real opportunity for proper feedback that if you lose a point you're going to know exactly why because it says so right on the card you know you have to say why it was deducted but then you also have to say how they can get that point back right you know on the next role play this is what you can do better you know this is how you can max out your points by da 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 and i i like that back and forth and one of the things that you know, Chris mentioned here like, that you said here, Chris is is the GM that you spoke to. You know, even though you were going to him all the time for scorecards, and then he ended up giving them to you automatically. Chris, you can attest to this. I'm sort of really anal <laughs> when it comes to how staff interact with the roster. In that yep. we we have to be respectful, and there's always moments where you know we as staff are like man it's going to be really hard to be respectful to this person because they're being so rude and so unreasonable but mm -hmm. every response is always out of respect emotion is taken out of it and you know in in my opinion that's probably why you transition so well into becoming staff yourself because of the way the positive way that you were treated and and helped to improve am i yeah am I and, right in that and the funny thing there is you know um if if you go back and and you read the exchanges you and i had when when i said hey like i'll i'll be a the gm of, of fsw um i knew it was going to be uh an iffy uh, like an if it wasn't going to be a yes or no like because of the way that I came into the Fed in the way that I would like, I was pushing for change as a roster member, mm -hmm. not necessarily as a handler. And so I knew like, you know, you and I were going to have to get to know each other. And you even said it at one point, you're like, Hey, I'm not ready to make a decision yet. Let's keep talking. And so I started talking more about like my philosophy on things and, and how the job that I have uh, and the company that I work for and their culture influences what I do. Uh, and you were like, and I remember you coming back to me at one point and you were like, you get it. Mm -hmm. Like that was your, you were like, you understand it. You mm -hmm. absolutely understand what I'm going for. And I think that was kind of the moment where you were like, all right, I, I want to give him a chance. Um, it blows and, my mind how much you and I are alike in so many ways. And I think one of the big, two, two of the big things are, number one, you and I both loved wrestling. We both grew up on it. We both loved it. We understood it. I mean, you got to have your foot in the door as far as actually working in, in that world. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. Um, I I had a unique foot in the door that my, my uncle Frank was best friends with Bret Hart. And nice. so so I got, I got to meet and see wrestlers all the time as a kid, like all the time. It's funny because watching um, Young Rock and seeing you know young rock interacting with all the wrestlers i'm like oh my goodness like mm -hmm. 
that was my Saturday. Like I remember that <laughs> happening at my uncle's house. So, yeah. so we both had that, that love for wrestling, but then we had that passion for e-fetting. And I think that's a lost art on some fed heads and some, you know, GMs and showrunners is they don't have that love for the game. And when you love the game, you want to see it grow. You want to see your members do better. You want to see them become better writers. You want to see them succeed, you know, and it, and it just, it oozes out of you, Chris. I, I see it with your mm -hmm. passion. I see how you interact with, with your members and with other members and with the staff. And there's just so much passion and it's contagious. You know, people see the way you talk and interact and it's like, oh man, like, yeah, I'm excited too now. And, you know, I, I'm thinking back to when Paramount was, you know, getting ready to be announced and, you know, you had me so excited. I was, you were like keeping me back. I'm like, dude, I want to announce everything. I just want to say, and it was yeah. like this slow burn of like revealing was, this. And, and yeah, those conversations we had where you came to me and you were like, Hey, like, you know, are there any changes you want to make to the show? Uh, and I was hesitant to even bring up, like, I think FSW needs to be a third main roster. Like, and, and it's funny how e-fetting at that point, almost it, it almost in, it intimidated what was going on in the real world. Because this was right around the time that uh, NXT was like, hey, we're no longer development. We are a legitimate third brand. And I was like, well, we could do that. Mm-hmm. Like we did it the previous year when we were, when we brought back the North American Championship, mm -hmm. that was right around the time NXT did it. And, and like, what did NXT do? They did a ladder match for it. I said, "Well, hell, we're just going to do a ladder match for it." <laughs> um, and it, so it was, it was, it was funny how how FSW and now Paramount has taken that that almost that same path. But yeah, like I remember, I think you brought it up originally. You were like, "What if, what about this idea?" And you said, "What if FSW becomes a main roster brand?" And I said, "I love it." And so we started talking about it and we're like, all right, well, what about this? What about that? What about the other? And we came up with all these different ideas. Uh, and then I was like, I just don't know, like, do we change the name? And I, and I think you were the first one that was like, no, we have to change the name. Like it, it can't be future stars of wrestling anymore when we're talking about the current. And I was like, all right, well, let me think about a name. And I was thinking and thinking, I couldn't come up with anything. And then you came to me and you were like, I think I have the name. And I was like, all right, cool. You're like Paramount Wrestling. And I was like, I don't know, man. And you're like, no, think about it. Like it's this, this is what it means. And this, this, and this, and, this. and the more you, the more, like I saw your passion, I was like, no, this, like, he's right. This is it. Like, this is the name. Um, and I so... legit have goosebumps right now. I'm not even, <laughs> I wish I could show you legit. Sorry to interrupt, but I just, I had That's to okay. say that I, I just, yeah. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. And, and just, you know, us feeding off each other like that really birthed this entire thing. And then, uh, you know, we came up with the idea of, all right, well, we're, then we're going to unify the belts and we're going to do it at the first episode, um, you know, between the FSW championship and the Undisputed championship. Uh, and I mean, I I don't think we could. I mean, look, we don't angle anything in EWC, really. Um, but man, like the story that unfolded, the people that won the Rumble and then won the Undisputed championship at WrestleFest, like I was like, how, like you can't write this any better. Like it just all the cards kind of came falling in. It's like that scene, if you've ever watched ECW, where Mick Foley calls for chairs with him and Terry Funk, and they end up with like 600 chairs in the ring. Like it was like mm -hmm. that. It was like everything just came into place at the right time. And we had the Undisputed Champion was a member of the Paramount roster. And so we truly unified those two championship belts with two of the best people from that brand. Um, 
and it just made sense it made perfect sense and it you know it, it's it just blows my mind how that all worked out man like the people that the people that that were involved in all of that they wrote their asses off uh, it was like for, chef's, for chef's kiss yeah, exactly it was just like uh, can't do better thank you <laughs> you know and to, to, to what Chris is talking about here, so for those who are not in the staff, which is the majority of the listeners, we have our own um, Discord conversation with all the staff that we're all talking together. And so when we were planning, you know, I, I know this might shock everybody, we plan things months and months and months in advance. <laughs> <laughs> so when we were planning, you know, okay, Paramount was going to come out and we, and I was planning the schedule. I'm like, hey, we're going to give Paramount the first show out of anybody and so we were coming up with scenario after scenario where it's like, okay, well, if this person ends up winning the Rumble, then this is what we have to do. And if that person wins, mm-hmm. and if this person wins WrestleFest, and so we had like these millions of scenarios that it's like, oh my goodness, like this might be hard to pull off. And then, like you said, everything happened exactly yeah. like, like we couldn't, if this was angled, I don't think we could have planned it better. We would have never come up with this idea if it was angled. I, I, I don't I think so. But and and you know it's 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 funny because I I think, you know. I the only thing that I may have influenced is. Kind of forcing that that triple threat at WrestleFest, and this is to give you a little backstage booking. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of made that match happen because I thought at the time, based on what happened at what was the pay per view before at Rumble? Was it Rumble or yeah? But based on what happened at Rumble, and then based on what happened at Prime right after it i was like we have to settle this mm-hmm. like this has to be settled to wrap up the season because it just the story to me demanded it mm-hmm. and so i basically said no this is what we're going to do uh and nobody questioned me <laughs> and mm-hmm. i was like well hell i guess that's what we're doing then yeah um so it, it just it again i mean all three people in that match uh i mean I, if i remember correctly the, the margin of winning was like so thin it was razor, like thinner than paper it was razor razor it's probably, thin it's yeah it's probably the thinnest it's ever been since i've joined staff at least especially in a triple uh, threat and in in, yes. in a match that involved more than two people that's the yeah. closest it, i think i've ever seen in mm-hmm. in in the history of bwc yeah and then you know i just i threw my own twist on it because i'm not usually a fan of triple threat matches i'm a fan of the EC, the ewc three-way dance mm-hmm. or the ecw three-way dance rather where it was like you know elimination style there has to be one singular winner um and so i was like that then that's it like that's how you really culminate all of these stories everything that happened um because the the undisputed championship has i don't think we've had somebody have two successful defenses since what like 2018 something like that yeah and we haven't had a two-time champion since 2017 mm-hmm. something like that you know so I mean, it's it, it is literally the highest prize in the federation because it's that hard to get. It's that hard to keep, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, it man, it worked out, and and just yes, we we so I think we started planning the FSW transition right after Stranglemania 2020. Oh yeah, yeah. And like, so we're talking middle of middle of the pandemic. And we're 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 coming up with ideas that are gonna you know basically change the entire landscape of this federation. Yep. And I was <laughs> uh, uh, I was in my hole of uh, of Photoshop and mm-hmm. developing logo after logo. <laughs> just like <laughs> it was just funny how we, everything was coming together. And again, Stranglemania is March, mm-hmm. so you know y'all never heard of Paramount or the transition or anything till months and months and months it later. Was, yeah, it was like October. I want to say when I announced. Yeah. 
Uh, and I, I basically said, hey, like, this is it for FSW. And, and so, I mean, obviously, you know, I, I tried to make it dramatic. I, tr I try to tell the best story possible. That's kind of my personal thing is more than anything else, what does the story tell me? Mm -hmm. And so you put your contribution in, you put your contribution in, you know, those contributions decide the winner, but then it's about how do we tell the story the best way possible. And um, I think that, you know, also to your credit of we have the best group of writers, I would say that extends not just to role-playing, but to match writing. Oh, because yeah. holy hell, have we had some amazingly written matches. Yeah. Um, you know, I I never I never in a million years would have thought the concept of cinematic matches in a, in a role play fed, mm -hmm. um, but we did two of them last year, mm -hmm. just just on FSW that I am extremely proud of, uh, and and they were executed so beautifully. Mm -hmm. The I, writer of that of that of those matches did it so well. Yeah, I I agree, and it's one of those things where um, when you read it, and if you haven't read it, I highly suggest going back and reading it. Um, I, I'm a very visual person and reading that thing, I could see everything playing out. I mean, I could smell mm -hmm. it is how yeah. wonderfully written that was. So let's, let's peel back a little bit more now. So mm -hmm. you, you grew up in what era of wrestling? Did you, were you, were you old enough to remember the eighties or were you more nineties and, and beyond? Yeah, I vaguely remember the '80s. So I was born, I was born in the kind of mid '80s, right? Okay. So like '80, I remember like '88, '89. That's kind of where I, you know, where I remember watching it live, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, yeah, so one of my earliest memories outside of my grandmother uh, was my stepfather. My stepfather uh, was born in Ohio, big wrestling fan. So um, that was one of the things we bonded about, you know, early on, and. Um, I remember going on a ride uh, with him. He had a Harley in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. And uh, we went for a ride and uh, he took me all over the town. I grew up in Palm Beach County, Florida. And so uh, specifically in West Palm Beach. And so there was the West Palm Beach Auditorium, mm -hmm. which was a big venue at the time. Uh, a lot of WWF at the, you know, now WWE would come through a lot. And so uh, he drove me over to the auditorium and and he was like, hey, uh, I got a surprise for you. And he pulls out two tickets, and it was a it was a house show, WWE house show, and uh, that was my surprise. Like I, you know, the show didn't start till eight o'clock. I was God, what six, seven years old at the time. So like, you know, I was supposed to be in bed by eight, nine o'clock. And he was like, no, 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 we're you're gonna stay up late tonight. We're gonna we're gonna watch this. And so <laughs> uh, I got to see that man. It was really cool. Um, you know, the Hulk Hogan was supposed to be there, uh, but ended up not being there. And so Tugboat took his place in the main event. I remember that. Um, I don't remember a whole lot else about that particular night, though. Um, but I did. I was in attendance for uh, WWF In Your House 11, which was from the West Palm Beach Auditorium. That was one of The Rock's first appearances on pay-per-view. Hmm. Not the first, but one of the first. It was one of his really early ones. Mm -hmm. um, that had Bret Hart on that card. Uh, Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels. I believe the main event was The Undertaker versus The Executioner oh, in nice. like an arena brawl type thing. So the, the cool thing about the West Palm Beach Auditorium is it was this giant auditorium and then it had like a moat around the outside of it. And I specifically remember them um, brawling into the moat. <laughs> and I remember that being so, so cool. Um, and so that was the big thing that I remember about that. But yeah, that was one of my first um, one of my first memories. That's awesome. So, 
that was you know that was that but yeah so that there's that uh, i've also um i've attended like there was a, a judgment day pay-per-view that i attended at one point in the 90s um I've seen. I got to see uh, a TNA taping uh, in the 2000s. That was actually I got to cross something off my bucket list because I saw Sting live. That oh. was something I told myself I I must see this man live because I'm I'm such a fan of Sting and Very everything cool. that he's done. Um, so I got to see Sting live. He didn't wrestle, but I got to see him live. And if if you've never been in the Impact Zone when they when they were um, recording in Universal Studios Orlando, it was this really small soundstage, mm-hmm. and so you know we were on the guardrail like up by the entrance of uh, like like up by the entrance way so it was i mean you were right there um in fact uh my 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 buddy miles was with me and uh, bob backland was on that show and he threw his bow tie out into the audience and it didn't quite go over the guardrail it was like just on the other side mm-hmm. and uh miles actually reached through and grabbed it and so he had bob backland's bow tie we actually gave it to a, a kid who was there who really wanted it we we're like man come on we're not gonna ruin this kid's night he's, nice. he's gonna get the bow tie so um so there's that um I've seen you know a couple house shows here or there. Uh, I haven't gotten a chance to see a whole lot of big live wrestling like WWE or you know I'm I'm like two hours from Jacksonville. I've I've not gotten a chance to go see AEW at all. Mm-hmm. Um, wish you did, but it didn't. Um, but no, in the early 2000s, I saw a ton of Florida independent wrestling. Nice, uh, like a ton, a ton, a ton. So I got to see a lot of people before you know before they kind of made it to WWE. Um, I got to see the Usos before they made it to WWE. Okay. Um, because if you don't know, Afa, uh, Afa the Wild Samoan, his school is no, he's got a school in Pennsylvania still, but he's also got a school here in Central Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I went to a house show uh, and the Usos were on there. Uh, that was actually where I met Scott Hall. I got okay. to meet Scott Hall in person. And uh, t- I talked to him for like 20 20- uh, I mean, he was he was he was a cool dude. Uh, obviously, you know, he's got his struggles in life, and I wish him nothing but the best, man. But he was just, you know, he was sitting there after the show talking to 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 the wrestlers, like giving them advice, you know, and and really just kind of you know being that that cool mentor type guy. Um, but it's funny because he uh, he only talked to me because at the time I was um, I was hosting an internet radio show, and it was about Florida independent wrestling specifically. So. Um, I was there and I knew a bunch of the people that were working that show. And so they came over and were talking to me. And so he thought I was, he thought I was one of the boys or something. Um, and that was really, I think the only reason he talked to me, but man, it was a, it was a really cool opportunity to, to kind of talk to him. And, uh, you know, I, I introduced myself to Afa and shook his hand, which was really cool. Um, but I've also seen, uh, I've also seen a lot of, uh, you know, quote unquote old timers as well, uh, do stuff. I once saw, um, Kevin Sullivan, Terry Funk, Dusty Rhodes, and Abdullah the Butcher in a four-way last blood match. Nice. Which means all of them had to bleed before yeah. they could get a pinfeller to mission, right? Yeah. And, and we're talking, you know, you've seen the forehead of Abdullah the Butcher. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, it was, I mean, that was interesting to say the least. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of, there's a lot of cool things that I've done. But yeah, so I, I did that podcast for a while, which was really fun. Uh, I got to, I got to meet a lot of really cool people. Um, got to interview Kevin Sullivan because of that because of that that radio show uh which was interesting very very interesting he has got a very awesome mind um for the for the wrestling business um it was a very unique interview <laughs> and i'm sure you got to pick his brain quite a bit yeah yeah it was it was really neat um 
I'm trying to think of any of, of who else. So there was um uh this guy uh in the wrestling independent scene is he went by the name Dylan Knight. Um he was actually, if I remember correctly, he was trained by Steve Carino. Okay. Um and so he had come to Florida and I'd gotten to know him uh, and and a little bit. And so he put on a series uh, he put on a show in Kissimmee. Uh, which is just south of Orlando, mm-hmm. and uh, he had me work it. I was doing sound and 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 like the the video board and stuff like that. And uh, so he had a bunch of independent names, and then the two big names that he brought in were Scotty Tuhati mm-hmm. and um, Glacier from WCW. If you remember nice. him, he yeah. was like he was like the surprise, like because he had planned to do multiple shows mm-hmm. that he was like setting that up for the next show. Mm-hmm. Um, but he recorded the whole thing and. Um, you know, he had planned to do like uh, like kind of crash TV style YouTube series to build up momentum for the for the the, the company, but it never really panned out. Um, mm-hmm. That was really neat. I got to do that. Um, I remember when he when he was out, he reminded me of Shredder, <laughs> you know, from Ninja Turtles. Yeah, it's like, like Shredder versus uh, Shredder and Sub Zero from Mortal Kombat. Yeah, exactly. Like that was kind of his his outfit was kind of wild from when he came down to the ring. Yeah, I, I remember him. Yeah. So, um, you know, and that was that was kind of cool because my dad was at that show. I invited my dad because my dad lives in Central Florida as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, he came out. It was like a Tuesday night in, in Kissimmee. So it was like, obviously, we didn't have a ton of people there. But it was still really neat because he got to see me interacting with all of these these wrestlers, If you know, and, and uh, that was that was kind of cool because he's a big wrestling fan, too. It's it's funny. He um, he drives for Lyft on the side. OK, so he'll call me. He'll call me and be like, man, you never you never guessed who I gave a ride to today. And he'll like driven somebody to the performance center or something. Oh, nice. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's that's something that keeps my dad and I talking a lot too. Is I love of wrestling. Very cool. So, I mean, for people out there, if if uh, if Chris sounds familiar, you might have heard him on his radio show. You might have heard his podcast, or you might realize he sounds exactly like Adam Scott, the actor. Um, a, a very <laughs> a very sexy Adam Scott sounding. Can you do me a favor? Can you just say Leslie Nope? Leslie Nope. Okay, so now everybody go and Google Ben Wyatt <laughs> from Parks you know and Rec. Funny is I told I told my wife that because you yeah. had said that to me before, and and she was like, yeah, nope, nope, I can see that. Yeah, no, I can see that. And she's a huge Parks and Rec fan too. So. That's awesome. That is awesome. So we've covered you know your EFED experience to this point. We've talked a bit about you know your your love of wrestling and, and your role in wrestling. Um, you and I have a new shared love um, together. And that is uh, electric smokers. <laughs> oh hell yes! We uh, so I, I got an electric smoker um, last year, and best investment I've ever made. And I've flooded Discord with everything that I make all the time, and everybody's always just drooling at the pictures. And so Mr. Chris now has gone and and you know got involved in the smoking world. So tell us what's uh, you you just had ribs that you just shared yeah, yesterday yeah. they looked my goodness they look so good tell us about it oh man so yeah so i i ended up getting this smoker um it was a gift from my mom and so uh we had had it for a while before i got to set it up and use it because it was sitting in my mom's garage while my wife and i were waiting to buy our house right and so mm-hmm. i finally you know when we bought our house it took me a, a, like a month or two and i finally got it set up but yeah i'm learning about it and uh, so the ribs was uh, the third thing I've ever made on it. So the first thing I did was a pork butt, you know, pork shoulder mm-hmm. um, that turned out really, really good. I did some smoked salmon on it. 
um, which was really good. I just messed up the brine a little bit. So next time I do it, I got to tweak the brine. Mm -hmm. But these ribs, man. So um, my mother-in-law's 75th birthday was the other day. And uh, so we had some people, you know, we had some, some, my mom and, uh, and some, you know, some friends of my family over. Um, and I decided we were going to make ribs. And so, because it's, it's hard for my, for my mother-in-law to have barbecue mm -hmm. because she's allergic to oak wood. Okay. And 90% of barbecue is going to be made in oak wood. Mm -hmm. uh, so the good thing about smokers is you can get different flavored pellets, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I have this cherry wood, these cherry wood pellets that I use. And um, I got three, ni three nice racks ribs from Sam's Club, which is, uh, you may not have, I don't know if you have that in Canada or not, but it's, a, it's, it's Walmart's like discount store. Right. Um, you know, and so I got those and uh, all I did was this. I, I have this rub that I got from a local grocery store. It's actually called Butt Rub. Mm -hmm. It's meant for, for, for pork, right? Mm -hmm. So I put the rub on it, um, put, the, put the, the ribs in at 180 degrees for three hours. Uh, every hour I spritzed them down with a little bit of apple cider vinegar just to keep them moist. Uh, after three hours, I took them off, turned the heat up to 225, put them in foil, like little foil boats, and just kind of drizzled some apple juice on them, mm -hmm. like just enough to cover them, uh, cover the top of them, and then let it sit in the bottom. Put them back in at 225 for two hours, and then I took them out again, took them out of the foil, put barbecue sauce on them, uh, which we used a can we used an organic Kansas City barbecue sauce from Whole Foods, nice. just their like their brand. Um, so put them, you know, basted them in barbecue sauce, put them back in, and then basted them again like every fifteen minutes for an hour. So it's like a six hour process. It's called it's called the three two one method. Yeah, pretty 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 known and popular method of of uh, making ribs. But I I've done it in an oven. I'd never done it on a smoker. Mm -hmm. But man, these things. Like they, you, you couldn't just pull the, the the bone out because I've actually, you know, the more I, the more you read about it, everyone's got different opinions. But I've seen a lot of like competition smokers, people that are like, hey, if you can just pull the bone right out, it's actually overdone. Mm -hmm. It should have just a little bit of pull. And these had like just a little bit of pull on them. But man, the meat was so tender and like it wasn't overly done. It wasn't underdone. It was like perfect. Uh, probably the best thing I've ever cooked in my life to this point. That's awesome. Yeah, we've we've. Uh, I mean, for those who who are in the in the Fed that that know this, um, my wife's family, um, they have a farm that they run, and so we were able to get a part of a cow um, this last year, and so we've had you know a freezer full of of cow parts and that, and then um, you know we're big fans of of pork, you know, go figure, Canada bacon, um, but we I, I did that uh, that shoulder pork shoulder um, a few days ago. And that was the longest one I've ever done. Like that thing was like an eight pound and it took nine hours. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was really cool. Cause I, I went out and I got a spray bottle, um, just like at the dollar store, filled it with apple juice. And I was mm -hmm. out every hour, just giving a little squirt spraying, keeping it moist. And <laughs> I mean, I, I was telling you the day when I, I have these, um, smoker gloves. So one for each hand. I had to use the gloves to actually get it off the smoker because it was falling apart. It was so tender. It was mm. falling apart right there. And it was the best pulled pork that I've ever had ever in my life. Um, like for those of you out there who have maybe thought about getting a smoker in all honesty, it's, it's one of the best investments it, that you yeah. can make best investment you can make it, it will change the way you cook food completely because it's 
you can i mean for to to go to a restaurant and order what i ate yesterday you would have spent 20 bucks a head and then we had seven people here yeah the three racks of ribs alone only cost about 32 dollars. nice and then it was you know a dollar in in rub and maybe a dollar of apple juice and a dollar of apple cider vinegar and some foil very nice you know yeah very very inexpensive <laughs> um, to do so so when when you and i finally get a chance to meet up in person we will have to uh, we will have to co- concoct something that we can make to uh to 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 celebrate that oh we're gonna have two smokers going we're gonna make something special uh um, oh yes with with the ownership of the ewc on the line <laughs> <laughs> so chris you and darren got promoted to commissioner um easiest decision of my life you guys both deserved it i mean in all honesty i could have given it to you guys sooner um but you guys earned it and you're you're killing it so far so before we end the show um why don't you give our listeners those who might not be in the ewc or those who are a reason to join and a reason to stay in the ewc i mean i think the reason to join is pretty simple not only do we have uh, probably one of if not the best group of writers in the game right now um it, it's also it, it caters to any level of of proficiency um you could be a new a newcomer uh you could be someone who's got a little bit of time on your belt you could be someone who's been doing this 15 20 years uh like some of us in staff are and uh, you can come in here and you will be worked with i you know i make it my job to provide quality feedback whenever whenever asked and i will go in and i will you know look deeper ask questions do whatever i can um to help and and a lot of that just comes down to you know that's how i would want to be treated as a member of the roster that's what i would want is i would want someone to do the same for me um you know i may not be as involved as i'd like to be because real life sometimes gets in the way which is understandable but i do my best to to you know if someone comes to me and says hey like i'm looking for something to do i'm looking for a story i'm looking for this i'm looking for that um cool let's you know tell me a little bit about your character is usually the first thing i'm gonna say um tell me a little bit about their their gimmick or their story or what are you trying to tell and then based off of that i i can i can just go all right well what about x y and z what about a b and c and we can come to some agreement on some stuff um and that's usually how it starts and then it's up to the to the handler you know you've got to then go um you know make that happen and and really take take that one thread that we created together and pull on it and pull on it and pull on it and make it what you want it to be um but whether you know whether you like to to write and write and write and write and write uh you know that's brawl and rampage for you you can write as much as you want uh we've had some people drop some you know five six seven eight thousand word bombs on us uh in in paramount you know you're a little more structured it's 1500 words um you know one rp uh bi-weekly whenever you'd like if you don't have time for that even that's what we've got prime for prime is a great place for for people that are looking for that micro fed experience 750 words two rp limit every other week Uh, it's also where we do the g1 which if you're a fan of of you know um Japanese wrestling, you'll know what the G1 is. That's a great tournament idea. I love that idea. I love the fact that we brought it back this year. Uh, but, you know, Darren and I are constantly talking about, like, you know, what what if we do this or what if we try this or what if we go here or there? Uh, and our goal is just to provide enough structure and enough kind of options for people that they can come in and find what fits their, 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 their work life or life fed or whatever you want to call it, balance. 
Um, but I mean, if you want to come somewhere that's going to work with you to tell your story, we're going to do our best. Perfect. Absolutely perfect. And, you know, coming up in the, in the next hopefully month or, or less, uh, there is a new podcast called EWC Backstage Pass that will kind of give you an idea of, of what goes on behind the scenes of planning pay-per-views and planning out the season. Because what you all don't get to see is how creative our staff is behind the scenes. Um, you get to see their output in the shows, but you don't get to see, you know, how how the, the sausage is made, as it were. You know, you don't get to see the ideas back and forth, the brainstorming sessions. And, you know, with, with, uh, with Chris and with Darren uh, really leading the charge as our commissioners, uh, the future of the EWC is in great hands and the present, obviously, is in great hands. Chris, in one minute or less... What's it like having me as your boss? <laughs> uh, this is where I'm supposed to say Mac is the greatest boss ever. I love Mac. No, um, realistically, it's, you know, you're, you're, again, you and I share a lot of ideology, and I think that really makes it easy. It makes it easy for me to be able to approach you and say, hey, here's this, here's that, here's this thought, that thought. Uh, and I know that you're going to look at it and go, all right, either, hey, there might be something here, or no, that's just not something that I want to do. I mean, you know, I could bring something you could straight out tell me, no, I'd never do that. And I'll be like, all right, cool, fair. He's obviously got his reasons, but you're going to tell me those reasons too. Like that's the other part of it is it's, you're not just going to tell me no, you're going to tell me why. And for me being a very analytical person in that I like to, you know, I, I work in the people industry. I speak to people constantly. And so I'm always looking at what's the why, what's the motivation, what's the, you know, the, 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 the curveball there that I'm not seeing. So you are that type of person where you're going to give me that really without asking a lot of times. And that's something I really appreciate. Um, and it makes the job a little easier to me. Awesome. I appreciate that, Chris. So Chris, I want to thank you very much for being on the show today. Um, this was a, a great hour of discussion. I think, you know, it allows people to see a little bit more behind the curtain as to who you are and your motivations and your history in the, in the, both the game and in wrestling and the real world. Um, Chris, we're super appreciative of everything that you do, um, both as the commissioner and as the showrunner of Paramount. And one of the nice things about Chris is uh, his dedication and his loyalty. And we know that for a long time we struggled to have somebody um, stick with FSW and what is now Paramount. And, you know, it's easy to see, you know, Chris in this role for, for many, many years to come and probably going to continue to rise in the ranks as far as a staff goes because he's proven to be incredibly uh, dependable and reliable and, and just a, a great charismatic uh, selfless person so Chris we thank you for all the work that you that you do and, and the work and effort you put into EWC and again thank you for going one-on-one -on -one with me oh thank you for having me <laughs>